Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So, Lindsey Graham made this big uh, announcement that he was giving to National Security Director Richard Grinnell, the the super, you know, MAGA hat guy, the new national security guy, um, all this information. We're going we're gonna to re- unredact and release this information. We're going to get it out about unmasking Michael Flynn. Oops. Turns out Michael Flynn was never masked. His conversations with Kislyak always identified Michael Flynn as the guy having the conversation. What Flynn was lying about, it turns out, and there's a great piece by the, about this by Mark Sumner over at uh, dailycos.com. It's titled, Lindsey Graham's Latest Effort to Embarrass the Obama Administration Backfired Spectacularly. What Michael Flynn was lying about, what he lied to Mike Pence about, what he lied to the FBI about, well, we don't know if he lied to Mike Pence or not. Trump put that in a tweet as the excuse for firing him. But what we do know that he lied to the FBI about now that this has been released was not that he was talking with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador. They knew that. They actually had those transcripts, and he had, he had never been masked in the first place because he was a high-level government official. What he was lying about was coordinating it with Mar-a-Lago, presumably Donald Trump, or Don Jr., or Jared Kushner, probably, you know, somebody. They were coordinating this whole, hey, you know, tell the Russians, don't get all hysterical, Uh, you know, yes, Obama put sanctions on, but don't react to it. We're going to come into office in a couple of weeks, and we'll make everything good again, and don't worry. I mean, you know, we don't have the transcripts, so I can't say that that's absolutely what was said, but you know, it makes perfect sense because right after Flynn had those meetings, President Putin came out and said, we're not going to react. So it looks like what Flynn was lying about was his coordination with Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, you know, stuff that would have been really useful to come out during the impeachment hearings. But here we are. Richard in Los Angeles. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Thank you for taking my call, Tom. I just wanted to know with all these phony investigations going on and the Republicans issuing subpoenas. Can the Democrats dodge the subpoenas from the Republicans like the Republicans dodged the subpoenas from the Democrats without any repercussions? Presumably. I don't know that, oh. um, you mean in the, the this let's get Obama in to testify. I, I would think that they yeah. would want to testify, Richard, because, you know, what Mike Flynn was up to was nasty stuff. And so if, uh, you know, if Obama or people from the Obama administration, Comey, these guys, if they come in and testify, I think it's going to reflect very, very, very badly on Donald Trump because, you know, Obama was doing the right thing. You've got a guy who is illegally, I mean, feloniously, like treasonously, illegally taking money from a foreign government. Mike Flynn had taken $500,000 from Turkey to act on Turkey's behalf coming in as the national security advisor of the United States. And then he's cutting background deals with Russia while, you know, and and coordinating it with the new candidate, you know, with Mar-a-Lago. That's pretty stinky stuff. And, 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 you know, had we known that during the impeachment hearing, I think it would have gotten even more real. And uh, so, you know, I actually think that it'll be a, a good thing 
if they if they end up you know with with this testimony. But yes, and generally speaking, uh, you know, if, if what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Richard, thanks for the call. Randy in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Randy, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. The reason why I'm calling is I voted for Trump, and other than my ex-wife, probably the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. So I'm Oops. trying to uh, ask you, I think November 3rd is, is, is obviously, you know, the answer. The problem is mm. this guy doesn't want to leave office, and I think, unfortunately, I can't believe that this actually deserves attention, but it is possible that he may not want to leave office. And I've always told my friends this would come down to who the military decides they what side they want to be on. And I, I'm just yeah. trying to get your take on this. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, is this real? I think it's a legitimate concern, Randy. And interestingly, there was a poll that was just reported over at 536 or, you know, one of those websites that if Trump loses in 2020, the Republican Party will renominate him in 2024, that that's the sentiment of the base. This is how deeply he, this love for Trump, this cult worship of Trump has been anchored in people who are regular viewers of Fox News. And, you know, We'll see what the next four years bring. But this is a question that Bill Maher and I have been bringing up over and over and over again over the last year or two is it's not if he's not going to leave. He says he's not going to leave. He has, you know, he has repeatedly said it. He hasn't asserted he won't leave if he loses. Instead, what he has said is if he loses, it'll be the result of fraud, which kind of implies that he won't leave. So, you know, I am hopeful that the Democratic Party and their lawyers and whatnot have some plans for this in the individual states. But we could be wandering into uncharted territory. This guy is as unpredictable and weird and dismissive of law as was Andrew Jackson. In fact, more so. I mean, Andrew Jackson defied the Supreme Court twice. You know, the Supreme Court told him he couldn't shut down the second bank. He did. They told him he couldn't do the Trail of Tears. He did. You know, he said, you know, Roger Taney, who was then the chief justice of the Supreme Court, has made his decision. Let him enforce it. Even if this went to the Supreme Court, will Trump say, you know, okay, John Roberts made his decision. Let's see if he enforces it. I just I don't have an easy answer for it, Randy, and I'm very concerned about it. Randy, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's a really important issue, and I look forward to talking to you again. Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Wanted to remind folks about what Michael Flynn was all about before he became national security advisor. And you probably already know this, but he was negotiating with the Russians to build nuclear power plants throughout the Middle East, 45 nuclear power plants. And Al Jazeera is reporting that Saudi Arabia is close to finishing their first reactor. And Ben Salman has, is on record in 2018 as saying that they want to develop a bomb if Iran's going to do it. So right. Flynn is crazy. You know, Flynn is just out of his mind. Besides being greedy, well, I think he I was mean, just—I think he was just following the money. I mean, you know, Turkey gave him a half million bucks. I didn't know about his negotiating for these nuclear reactors. Was that on behalf of Turkey? I mean, who? No, uh, who no, no. That was working the with the Russians, and it's—it's it's well reported on. You can read it, in, you know, the mainstream press. But it really has been downplayed. You know, no one's really talking about it. But as far as I'm concerned, that was really the most egregious thing that he did. He was—he was just just wanted to make money building nuclear power plants and just pouring gasoline right. on a fire in the Middle East. Is the Saudi reactor an American design or a Russian design? No. No, it's, it, I don't know what the design is, but it's almost completed, and they are not a member of the IAEA, so there's no inspections. Great article on it now in Al Jazeera, arms control experts concerned by Saudi nuclear reactor push. I'll check And that um, his lying to Pence, which was why he was fired, I guess, and investigated, mm-hmm. that's the least of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Bob in Naples, Florida. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hi, Tom. I just want to say that history is not going to be kind to Trump and his administration, but they're shameless. They really don't care as long as they're in power. That's all that matters to them. When CBS asked a question to William Barr, the reporter asked him, is history going to be kind to him or his administration? And Bill Barr's response was, History will remember us as the winners. That's all that matters to them, as the winners. Right. And then he kind of laughed. I mean, well, and Trump was we... once asked something like that, Bob, and he said, "I'll be dead. I don't care." Or words. Yeah, exactly. They are shameless, and their goal is they don't care. Like they cheat, they lie. I mean, whatever it takes. They even they're willing to throw their even their friends, and if they don't agree with them under the bus, they don't care. All they care is is money, power. And that's all that matters. Just like yeah. 
in, the, in his study history, like Harlan, Kutlich, Herbert Hoover, Hitler, Franco, and Mussolini, they were in power because they cheated. And also, they, they have to kill that. So be it. And that's their weapon of the choice. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm not in sure power. That, that Hoover was in power because he cheated. But, uh, you know, I get your point, And that's absolutely what they're doing. And that's well, why Trump is screaming about Michigan sending out applications for absentee ballots, because he knows that if the majority of people vote, he's going to lose. And the bet that he's making right now is that in November, Republicans will be brave and fearless and they'll go to the polling places and Democrats are still going to be worried about getting COVID-19, particularly those people over 60 who are concerned about Medicare and Social Security. And they're not going to go out and vote. And so he's therefore going to win because he's got a bunch of you know younger white yahoos who are going to go and vote for him. So we'll see. We'll see, Bob. But I think you're right. I think you know your assessment that uh, history is not going to be kind to them. Spot on. Dave in Manhattan, New York. Hey, Dave. What's up? Hey, how you doing? You've spoken many times about how cynical Republicans are in that they don't necessarily believe, you know, what they project, you know, on uh, online or on TV. Sure. And, you know, they are opportunists. And this is about being prominent, making money, et cetera. But I always wonder behind the scenes, what are they saying? I mean, if I were a, you know, a fly on the wall or a fellow traveler and I said, oh, God, can you believe, you know, what we're getting away with? Can you believe people are, are still believing all the nonsense we spew? Would, you know, what would, you know, would they say? say that? I mean, are they, you know, do they say, gee, I, I thought Trump was going to be bad, but I didn't think he was going to be this bad? Yeah. Or are they just, I can't believe they're as self-deluded and or as crazy as they might be, and that this is just opportunism. You know, David Stockman uh, talked about that. He wrote a book uh, basically apologizing for the time that he was Reagan's budget director. That's right. And yeah, and he, and he made the point, I mean, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush knew that Reaganomics was BS. During the primary, he called it out. He said it was voodoo economics. He said that he suggested these weren't his exact words, but the implication or the import of them was that Ronald Reagan wanted to take America back to the roaring 20s, you know, the, the policies of Harding and Coolidge and Hoover, and those policies ended in disaster. Yes, they made rich people very, you know, fabulously rich. That's why it was called the roaring 20s. And they wiped out a lot of working class people. Wages, working class wages actually declined in the 1920s while rich people got richer, which is exactly what's happened since 1981. And so Stockman called that out and said, yeah, these guys know what's real and they're BSing you on behalf of their donors. It's all about power yeah. and money. And I, yeah, I, I would think- bet that that's still the case. Yeah, and I think that's that's worse. I mean, you know, you can you can only yeah. blame somebody so much for genuinely believing something, no matter how nutty it is. But when they 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 know it's not true and they pretend it is, I mean, that's just uh, that's just so destructive and uh, objectionable. It's, yeah. it's yeah, no, it really is. It's it's hypocrisy writ large, Dave. You, you're absolutely right. This is the Tom Hartman program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Treason and Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of Individual One by Kenneth Ford McCallion. This is from the prologue. It was a gray overcast day in Washington on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald J. Trump was sworn in as 45th president of the United States. The weather matched the mood of the majority of Americans who had voted for Hillary Clinton, but whose candidate was denied the election as a result of an anachronistic electoral college system a lackluster Clinton campaign that had ignored key battleground states such as Michigan and Wisconsin, and of course substantial help from the Russians. But the most significant assault on American democracy did not result from the illegal hacking and cyber attacks by Russian agents on our electoral system and social media. Rather, it came from Donald Trump's full-scale assault on American ideals and values, which had long been this country's most powerful weapon in its arsenal of democracy. In his grim inauguration speech, Trump basically announced the end of American exceptionalism, the hallowed concept and conviction that the United States has a special mission and place in history. Instead of extolling the virtues of our democracy and calling upon its citizens to raise the torch of liberty in every corner of this country and around the world, Trump took the cynical view that the United States was no better or worse than Russia or any other authoritarian country, and that all our government should be doing is to put America first by concentrating on building our country's economic wealth over all other considerations, and by not worrying about other concerns such as human rights or even democratic rights and freedoms around the world. Trump's denouncement of America's commitment to liberty and justice for all was a frontal attack on the guiding principles forming the bedrock of our democracy and America's faith in itself 
and in its transcendent mission. The Declaration of Independence had been a clarion call that resonated not only on this continent, but around the world, declaring that the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the cherished goal of all Americans and freedom-loving people the world over. Now, Trump was seeking to extinguish that fire by declaring that America was no longer the beacon of liberty and that every country, especially Russia, should be permitted to do whatever they wanted in their own country and its own sphere of influence. And that if they dismembered neighboring countries or slaughtered their own people who were fighting for greater civil and human rights, that this was of no importance to the United States. In other words, Trump was articulating precisely what Putin and others in the Kremlin wanted to hear, which is that Trump would give them the green light to rebuild the Russian Empire without fear of opposition or retaliation by the U.S. In doing so, Trump was demonstrating that he was a traitor to the traditional American democratic ideals. The enduring concept of American exceptionalism dates back to French writer Alexis de Tocqueville's reflections on America in his 1835 work, Democracy in America, where he concluded, quote, the position of the Americas is therefore quite exceptional, and it may be believed that no democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one, end quote. Abraham Lincoln echoed this theme of American uniqueness when he noted in his Gettysburg Address in 1863 that one of the things that sets us apart from all of the countries in history is the sacred duty of the United States to ensure that the government of the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Since the end of the Civil War and up until January 20th, 2017, the idea of American exceptionalism has infused the rhetoric of virtually every modern president and political leader. In April 1917, near the end of the First World War, President Woodrow Wilson exhorted Americans to fulfill the country's destiny to make the world safe for democracy. In his State of the Union address in January 1941, when the future of liberal democracies in a world war against fascism hung in the balance, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent a message to its besieged democratic allies around the world, reassuring them that, quote, we Americans are vitally concerned in your defense of freedom. We are putting forth our energies, our resources, and our organizing powers to give you the strength to regain and maintain a free world. This is our purpose and our pledge, end quote. 58 years ago, in his inaugural speech on 19, in January 1961, President John F. Kennedy reminded Americans that it was our country's fun fundamental duty to protect human rights at home and around the world. He pledged that Americans would bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure that survival and the success of liberty. Ronald Reagan inspired us with his soaring rhetoric about America being a shining city on the hill, a beacon for freedom, hope, and liberty that was and always will be the model and example for all the world. President Obama, in April 2009, publicly announced, acknowledged America's, quote, extraordinary role in leading the world toward peace and prosperity, end quote, while cautioning that such a lofty goal could only be achieved through effective partnerships with other countries. He also often reminded us that America is, at its core, a good and caring nation that must work tirelessly in the cause of democracy and human rights all around the world. With Trump, this powerful concept of American exceptionalism, which has been enshrined in our nation's psyche for almost 200 years, was declared to be dead and buried, or so Donald Trump and his enablers would like us to believe. In the immortal words of Stephen Colbert, Trump, in his easily forgettable inaugural speech, basically compared America to a dumpster fire. America's longstanding mission to preserve and protect the causes of democracy, freedom, and human rights around the world had, according to Trump, virtually devastated the country. Treason and Betrayal is the book. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. 
They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Some other things in the news here. You'll recall that Richard Burr, the uh, Republican senator, I believe he's from South Carolina, might, might be wrong on that. In any case, Richard Burr, the Republican senator, is the chair or was the chair until earlier this week of the Senate Intelligence Committee. The Senate Intelligence Committee unanimously released a report, unanimously. Richard Burr signed off on it, released a report saying that Russia not only interfered on our elections, but did so in measurable and consequential ways and did so to the benefit of Donald Trump. They just laid that out. Kelly Loeffler, the Republican senator from Georgia, whose husband is the president of the New York Stock Exchange, his, his name is uh, Jeffrey Sprecher, S-P-R-E-C-H-E-R, right after this story came out, at the end of last month, that Richard Burr and Kelly Loeffler had both been in an intelligence briefing where they learned that the coronavirus was really, really bad and we were going to have to shut down the country. This was a week or so before it happened. They were both in that intelligence briefing and they both dumped all their stock virtually immediately thereafter, you know, in the day or days immediately thereafter. And so you would think that they would both be being investigated for insider trading. But right after that report came out, Lawfer's husband gave a million dollars to a Trump super PAC. Honest to God, he gave a million bucks to America First Action, which is the, one of the major Trump super PACs. And now Richard Burr is being investigated by the FBI. They raided his home. They raided his office. They took his cell phone and his computers. And he has had to step down as chair of the Intelligence Committee. And Kelly Lawfer is still the Republican senator from Georgia. No consequence, no investigation, nothing. Tell me this doesn't stink. Meanwhile, what we're finding is that not only our state governments, we know now that Georgia is lying to us about uh, deaths in their state, about COVID deaths in their state. 
and publishing false information on their, on their state uh, health department's website and uh, that sort of thing. Florida, you know, Brian Kemp's Georgia, Ron DeSantis is Florida doing the same thing, hiding information, refusing to release information on nursing home deaths and other things. Arizona now, uh, Governor Ducey is uh, doing the same thing. I, you know, I'm convinced that the only reason he got elected in, in Arizona is that his last name is the same as the, the guy who was the, the host on Fox and Friends in the morning, and everybody figured he was his brother. And I have no idea if they're related or not. But, and maybe, maybe Ducey has a long history in Arizona politics. I just always figured he was working on name recognition. If you're in Arizona, let me know. I'd love to know. But I'll tell you, I was, I've been on Fox and Friends a couple of times, and those guys are not bright bulbs, shall we say. We got mail, right? We, I don't know. We used to have a mail music thing, but not here from home. Anyhow, I get this. This is from official Trump. Uh, this is the, you know, the, the Trump campaign, right? Dear Fred, Obamagate is the biggest political crime in our nation's history. Barack Obama will forever be remembered as the disgraced former president who used federal law enforcement in an attempt to hurt his political opponents. His administration, including sleepy Joe Biden, illegally spied on President Trump at his 2016 campaign and then lied about it. We can't let them get away with it. The president trusts what you think, Fred, which is why he's asked us personally to reach out to you and get your thoughts on how he should proceed with handling the greatest hoax of all time. We're sending the first 75 responses to our quick one-question poll directly to the president's phone for him to review. Do you think the Justice Department should investigate Barack Obama and his administration? Yes or no? President Trump is really counting on your input, Fred. The American people know if the Obama administration illegally spied on President Trump and his campaign, there's only one way to find out. We deserve the truth. Do you think the Justice Department should investigate Barack Obama? That's the first one. And then the second one, which came the next day, and this one came from Donald J. Trump. Oh, how the tables have turned, Fred. Joe Biden used the federal government to illegally spy on my 2016 campaign and to further the Russian collusion delusion. Can you believe it? First, I was accused of colluding with the Russians. Next, the Democrats wasted your time and money with a three-year witch hunt. Then they impeached me for being a perfect president. After that, I was acquitted. I did nothing wrong. And now there's evidence showing the sleepy Joe is the guilty one. The liberals have always been trying to take me down. And more importantly, they've been trying to take you down, Fred. We are halfway through the month, and now that Sleepy Joe is a certified crook, I want to make a statement so big that even while he's hiding in his basement, he won't be able to ignore us. For the next hour, all contributions will be 500% matched. Please contribute any amount in the next hour to make a huge statement, and your gift will automatically be 500% matched. And then it's got my donor file and all that kind of stuff, and isn't that cool? It's really interesting because, you know, Donald Trump is trying to gin up this scandal. And in the process, the Republicans declassified this memo that Susan Rice wrote to herself after a meeting with Obama. And, you know, she was the national security advisor who was being replaced by Michael Flynn. And she wrote a memo to herself, basically uh, summarizing a meeting that she had had with the president and some members of his cabinet in which they were, uh, the, uh, concerns had been shared with them by the FBI that Michael Flynn was having a very high frequency of contacts, phone calls and meetings with Sergei Kislyak, the, the Russian ambassador. And they're like, why is this going on? This, uh, this is not something that national security advisors should do. And so the question was, do we have to be worried about passing top secret intelligence along to Michael Flynn out of fear that it may end up in the hands of Russian intelligence. And it seems to me that by declassifying this, they just kind of proved the point that this was a legitimate investigation. I mean, you know, it's like weird stuff was going on. And what we found out later, what, you know, Michael Flynn pled guilty to, actually he didn't plead guilty to this. They chose not to charge him for being an unregistered foreign agent because he pled guilty to a larger crime, which was lying to the FBI. Or maybe it's a smaller crime. But in any case, he's pled guilty to lying to the FBI. Twice, in fact, he pled guilty to that in open court and confessed his crimes. And what he was lying to them about were these meetings with Kislyak that had to do with the sanctions that Obama was putting on the Russians. 
So I think this thing is blowing up in his face. But then the grift continues. Then, you know, this is an email that uh, Sean got, and she forwarded it along to me. And it says, uh, Sean, are you looking for a Medicare plan that suits your needs? You may upgrade your coverage for the year 2020 under the newly proposed Trump Care Plan. Recent changes to the plan offer seniors a chance to exercise more freedom in choosing their coverage. Well, remember I told you back in 2005, the Bush administration succeeded in partially privatizing Medicare by creating this thing called Medicare Part C, also known as Medicare Advantage plans, which are not Medicare. They are private Insurance plans offered to people over 65, used to be illegal, now they can, offered to people over 65 that have all the restrictions of any private for-profit company. If you go out of network, then you have to pay the bill. You've got deductibles, you've got co-pays, you've got, if you get really, really sick, you need long-term care, they will drop you like a hot potato. It's a scam. But almost a third of Americans over 65 have signed up for these Medicare Advantage plans because they advertise them so aggressively on television. These are very profitable things because they rip you off. And they say, oh, you get free dental and you get free eye exams. Yes, but if you get really sick, we won't pay for your hospital room. But now one of these companies is taking one of these Medicare Advantage plans, calling it Trump Care, and marketing it. I mean, this is like... This border's on fraud, but it's amazing. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey, we have a brand new video up at uh, TomHartman.com. And this one's about national health insurance and why and how we really need a single-payer national health care system, whether you call it Medicare for All or you call it single payer, or you call it whatever. You know, Medicare for all, it has a lot of appeal because generally speaking, Medicare is positively viewed. That's what they call it in Canada. It's called Medicare. And, you know, which makes sense, care for people using medicine. We would save at least $150 billion a year just on billing. You've got hospitals in the United States that have entire floors devoted to billing. Hospitals in Canada have one desk with, you know, one or two people sitting at that desk handling the billing. It's just crazy. And people would get better care, they get more comprehensive care, our entire nation gets healthier, and there's a whole bunch of essentially bullet points to build this argument for Medicare for All over at TomHartman.com. You can check it out right now. Bill in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Bill, you wanted to tell us about your experience of Franco? Yes. I was there in 1972 at the time. I think he was sickly. I was in Madrid, and he was already sort of a joke. Most people didn't want to talk about him. He had established what's called the Valley of the Fallen, which was supposed to be mausoleum for all of the Republican soldiers who had died during the uh, Spanish Civil War. When democracy returned to Spain a couple of years ago, I guess, I read that in October 2019, his body was exhumed from the mausoleum and buried at a family plot about 30, 35 miles away. So right. uh, one of the things that the prime minister of Spain indicated was that, and I'm paraphrasing, we can't be honoring a dictator like Franco now that we're a democracy. So there is hope uh, if we can last long enough, we can go ahead and try to recover from any damage that fascism does. So I just wanted to show well, look at the thousands of people who called. died in the Spanish Civil War and all the people of Franco imprisoned and tortured. I mean, he wasn't quite as brutal toward the end, you know, in the 60s and 70s, but certainly through the 30s and 40s, his rule was Stalin-esque, was it not? Oh, it was. And he was already in disgrace towards the end of his life. I think basically the average Spaniard was probably just hoping he would just depart the scene so they could go ahead and rebuild their country. I think that was look that's that's the that's the feedback I received when I was there in seventy two. And they finally did you know, it took him another thirty, forty years, but they finally went ahead and rejected him and the final insult I guess to his uh, legacy was actually having it exhumed and taken out of the mausoleum and sent away to a family plot so that they could just forget about him. Yeah. I just want to share that with you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Thank you.
Rich in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hey, Rich. Are they still making chocolate there? Uh, I was near one of the other plants in the town of Elizabeth, has a Mars plant. The other day when I drove through it, I could smell chocolate. So somebody's making product. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. So anyhow, uh, what I wanted to bring up, and I was just looking from a suggestion from you, it seems to me we need to somehow improve the impeachment process. Because right now it depends on, to a great deal, the integrity of the Senate. And if you've got a bunch of uh, Republicans or Democrats in the future who lack a backbone and lack integrity, we're going to be we could be stuck with this guy for a long time. I truly believe he could literally shoot someone and Republicans say, well, the self-defense, you know, and so on. And I'm just wondering, my thought would be to move it from a legislative endeavor to a judicial endeavor. Your thoughts, please. I think that if you do that, you're providing oversight of the executive in the judicial branch rather than the legislative branch. And it really needs to be in the legislative branch. The whole idea, Jefferson wrote a fascinating letter about this to Major Cartwright back in the, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was in the late 1820s, in which he talked about how his idea, and not just his, obviously, you know, collectively, the founders' idea was that Power needs to be concentrated at the ground, at the, at the lowest level possible. And he suggested that the most powerful political entity in the United States should be the individual wards, what we would today probably call counties or congressional districts or precincts. Sure. And that these wards would make the decisions for the counties and the counties would make the decision for the states and the states would make the decision for the federal government. And power would flow from the bottom up. And that's why they, when they wrote the Constitution, Article 1 requires every single member of the House of Representatives stands for re-election every two years, period, full stop, no matter what. And because that's the body, that's the branch that's closest to the people. And that's why that's the branch, not only where all spending has to originate, not only where all taxation has to originate, but also where impeachments have to originate. They have to start in the Mm -hmm. House and then they go to the Senate. And, you know, I think... Your historical perspective is absolutely accurate. In my opinion, Andrew Johnson should have been removed from office. He was, a, he was probably one of our worst presidents, although we have a new contender. And Bill Clinton, no. You know, I, I mean, that was the, the whole Bill Clinton thing was just, you know, Newt Gingrich uh, feeling his oats. But Trump should have been removed from office. But I don't think that, you know, moving it out of the Senate and into the, into the, uh, the Supreme Court or into the federal court system would be the way to do it. I think we just need to have a little more political accountability. And hopefully Donald Trump, you know, being as terrible a president as he is, has revealed these things to the American people. And maybe the next time the Senate will take it a little more seriously. Rich, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And we'll be right back. It's the Tom Hartman program. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In the Tom Hartman Book Club today, we're reading from United States of Distraction, Media Manipulation in Post-Truth America and What We Can Do About It by Nolan Higdon and Mickey Huff. And this is from the foreword by Ralph Nader. Ever since the few began to control the many, disinformation, fabrications, and distractions have been used to shape consent, impose submission, and maintain domination. Whether by the invoked authority of God, the divine right of kings, the dictatorial embodiment of a fatherland, the dictatorship of the proletariat, or the tyranny of commercially managed marketplaces, the casualty of such control has always been the ability of ordinary people to give voice to their own realities, needs, demands, and grievances. Given the inherent pragmatism of the human mind, the oppressed have often found it safer to believe rather than to think to obey rather than dissent. Today, such a path is reinforced by a plutocratic political economy that allows corporations to dominate mass media, education, and the production of knowledge and memory. Human history, however, has not been without its visionaries, seers, and prescient intellectuals, poets, artists, thinkers, and philosopher rebels. Every major religion admonishes its its adherents 
not to allow the merchant class, with its singular focus on aggregating profits at the expense of truth, compassion, and self-restraint, to amass too much power. Such instructions have emanated not from revelation, but from ethics learned via the daily experience of living in community with others committed to the common good. Unfortunately, it has not been the transactional incentives of commerce, but the cooperative bonds of community that dominate the most significant acts of life in the United States today. The dystopian scenarios portrayed in George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World look like understatements compared to today's plutocratic deployment of communications technologies, many of them developed by taxpayer-funded government programs and grants. The ultimate success of top-down censorship is self-censorship by the people. The same holds true for mass surveillance. From radio and television to the internet and smartphones and all the video platforms and apps in between, commercially controlled media have used seduction and addiction to lure users to increasingly stare into screens and share personal data and location, thus becoming complicit with authoritarianism and mass surveillance. In the process, the population has become fact-deprived and over-entertained, with lowered expectation levels and reduced attention spans. These technology-driven changes have distracted people from their rights and powers as citizens. As authors Nolan Higdon and Mickey Huff write, long before Trump's candidacy, ratings drove programming and news. In the process, celebrity, entertainment, scandal, crime, disaster, and spectacle clearly dominated over substantive reporting and public interest advocacy capable of questioning and countering abuses of corporate power and government authority. Trump, they noted, came right out of the omnipresent corporate commercialism. Deadly degradation of media is everywhere. Fueled by Madison Avenue's promotional perfidy, the junk food industry, bypassing parental authority, has lied its way directly into the stomachs of tens of millions of children, creating an obesity epidemic with its attendant diseases. Alternative facts, anyone? 45 years ago, venerated CBS News anchor Walter Cronkite called the three minutes or so devoted to a serious news story merely a headline service. If anything, the situation has worsened since Cronkite's time. Gone are the fairness doctrine, the right of reply, and any pretense that the Federal Communications Commission is regulating the broadcasters according to the 1934 Communication Act standard of the public interest, convenience, and necessity. The takeover of hundreds of newspapers, local television stations, and radio stations by corporate profiteers is still worsening. These corporations loot vulnerable media operations by cutting out reporters, investigative journalists, whistleblowers, educational content, and local coverage. Magazines are shrinking, going out of business, or just migrating to online-only versions. Social media cannot generate such content in addition to other shortcomings. Young people today are becoming increasingly illiterate. They spend more time staring at screens, but ultimately read less long-form content and less forced to do so for classwork. Fewer people are showing up for town meetings, marches, demonstrations, and rallies in spite of the ease and immediacy of communication enabled by the Internet. The so-called information age has become the disinformation age, with the corporate media's exclusion of the civic community being one of its most devastating triumphs. In the 1960s and 1970s, we could not have succeeded in advancing standards for public health and safety, labor, and environmental integrity without the help of mass media reporting on public campaigns and congressional hearings or without large audiences tuning into programs such as The Phil Donahue Show, which dedicated airtime to discussing our investigations, reports, and exposés. Now it is not just corporate media, but the Congress itself that is increasingly shutting out citizens' groups. The United States of Distraction by Higdon and Huff. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Rose in Chicago. Hey, Rose, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Just wanted to ask you, do you think that Trump's solid voting block of farmers will stick with them during and even after this pandemic like they did back, even when many of them were facing bankruptcy and even losing their farms during his stupid trade wars? I mean, it was unbelievable back then. Many of them that were interviewed said they would vote for him again when they were losing their farms. Do you think they'll stick with them this time? Probably, Rose. The factor, the variable that's always missing from these equations when they're discussed in the media is the power of Fox News and right-wing hate radio. The ability to, to basically create a cult around grievance. Um, you know, grievance about uh, black people. You know, Trump is refusing to hang Obama's new picture in the White House. I mean, he, it may go up on the wall someplace, but traditionally there's a ceremony where they do it. He's refusing to do that, uh, our first black president. It's just like this largely racialized grievance that they sell on right-wing hate radio and on Fox News. I don't have cable or satellite TV. I know it's hard to believe. Never, So I've never really seen Fox News. I guess I'm one of the lucky ones, mm-hmm. maybe. So I wanted to ask you yeah. maybe about that. Do the Trump followers that watch only that, do they not even hear yes. stories or see any of the images of the ventilators or the refrigerated trucks being used as temporary morgues, or do they see it and just blow them off as fake? I mean, I don't, like I said, I've never seen it. So was it just political pundits all day, or is there any quote? It's a little bit of both, Rose. It's a little bit of both. It's mostly, you know, those kinds of stories are mostly completely missing over on Fox and on right wing hate radio. And when they are shared, they're shared as the exceptions to the rule or as examples of, oh, it's just black people dying. And by the way, black people are dying disproportionately Uh, or it's just old people who are dying. And again, they are dying disproportionately. And so, you know, their spin on all this is you don't have to worry about this if you're white or if you're under 60, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But one of the things that's interesting about that is that Trump's support among people over 60 right now is collapsing. 
And I think it's collapsing largely because that is the message that they're trying to push out there. Rose, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you. Rich in Cedro, Woolly, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's on your mind today? A couple of things real quick. Apropos to your letter to Fred, I would call Republicanism, Reaganism, but especially now Trumpism, the politics of projection. Take, for example, Pelosi asked for X million dollars to help out these the states and the Republicans say, oh, you're just going to give that to all your rich friends. Well, that's what they would do, you know. Um, The other question, is there a way that the House or the Congress can change the definition of small business from not based on number of employees, but more on, say, gross income or even payroll? Well, Congress can do anything they want, you know, in, in, in making these definitions. I'm with you, though. I, you know, I remember uh, Louise and I back in the 80s were, or in the 90s, we owned an advertising agency in Atlanta. We owned a travel agency before we sold that, and then we started an ad agency. And the ad agency had, I think, probably 13, 14 employees, something like that. We were, you know, a small business. We were uh, large for small ad agencies. Most are two- and three-person mm-hmm. shops the small ones. And so we were doing pretty good, good sized business. But I wanted to expand the company. I wanted to buy some equipment. Actually, I wanted to buy some typesetting equipment that cost about a hundred grand. And so I went to my bank and I said, can I get a small business loan? And he says, no, you're too small <laughs> to be a small business, <laughs> to be defined as a small business under the SBA. You have to have, and I forget what the criteria was, but I think it was something like 50 employees or something like that. And, you know, our company was just too small. And, we, you know, we had a, we had a gross income that was, you know, uh, well over a million dollars a year. But it just, you know, it wasn't enough. So I think the small businesses really are the heart and soul of this country, at least traditionally have been. And that's why I wrote this book on monopolies, which is coming out in a month and a half. The Hidden History of Monopoly, Who Stole the American Dream or How Big Business, you know, Destroyed the American Dream. And it's an issue that we need to be addressing. And I, and I agree with you that, you know, redefining small businesses would be a good start. Rich, thanks for that. Mark in Cosa Mesa, California. Hey, Mark, what's up? I was going to talk to you about what Seth Abraham just talked about. I wanted to make a brief comment about that and also about the cages for the immigrants, if I could. They, sure. they both are connected, I believe, you know, because I always go on the premise that Trump just cares about himself, Trump, and and money and power, he doesn't really care about us, our health. He doesn't care about, he's not worried about people coming across the border and hurting us. But but the cages, you know, like Seth is going to bring out in his book, I think every uh, Democrat in the Senate, after they have the majority, have the majority should get this book and use it as a, a checkoff list. Yeah. And we need to look into whether Trump is invested in these private for-profit prison companies that are getting 700 bucks a day to keep children in cages. Yes, I totally agree. But, you know, those cages, and I, I think he, you know, just like what uh, Mr. Abramson was saying about, he's getting the money somehow. You know, what's in it for me is what Trump says. And it's like he's getting that money somehow. But the cages, they aren't going to go away. Whoever's making money and Trump making money on the $700 a day per person per cage, my prediction, this could all lead to really a monstrosity. Like these cages, they could be used for left-wing, political, peaceful rallies. Use those buses, gather them up, put them into cages, $700 a day per person, waiting for their time in court. This is what happened in Germany in the 30s, in the mid-30s. They started arresting, I mean, you know, they didn't start arresting Jews. They started arresting trade unionists and people who were members of the Communist Party. That's where it started. Yes, I'm not connected with anybody for this intelligence. I'm 74 years old. I'm, I'm housebound. I have, my brain has way too much time to think. But what I feel is that we can someday have people come to our doors. If the people that are bad-mouthing Trump and other things on Facebook mm-hmm. can be uh, taken away $700 a day, waiting for day court. It can come to that. I really feel... Watch like what you tweet. Watch what you post. Is that what you're saying? Well, we're living in a country where we can, but we have to maintain it, I think, yeah. because Trump, he sees these things we say. He sees the cartoons, and he sees what we say, and he tries not to. Mm-hmm. He tries to, to listen to people that just tell him how great he is, but part of what he does in life is get even. 
If he has control of Facebook, he can start getting even with people somehow. I agree. I agree, Mark. And it concerns me tremendously because I'm probably at the top of that pile or among the people at the top of that pile that he would want to come after. And I haven't let it shut me up, but it does wake me up in the middle of the night occasionally. Mark, thank you for the call. So we've got a new video up over at TomHartman.com for people who support our program. And there's a really troubling concatenation of events that are happening in the United States right now. We created these concentration camps for refugees seeking asylum. This was Stephen Miller's big project. And we've got concentration camps for children, concentration camps for male adults, concentration camps for female adults. And now we've got this virus sweeping through the United States and people are starting to die in these concentration camps, which has provoked ICE to, uh, or whoever's running them, to deport hundreds of the children back to the countries that they came from without their parents, which is mind boggling, and in many cases carrying disease. This is serious stuff and we need to be talking about it. The new video is over at TomHartman.com. Jerry in Yucca, Arizona. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind? Yes, Yucca, Arizona. You get that right, Tom. Hey, uh, I was just kind of wondering, and I've talked to a lot of people out here where I'm at, kind of a pretty rural area, but I don't know what's up with the Republican Party anymore. I don't really think it's the Republican Party. It's more like the Tea Party or the party of Trump. But uh, I've mentioned to people and whatnot, you know, my disdain against the, the government and the way it's going, and, and I think we got some real problems and whatnot. And it seems like no matter who I talk to, it's like those are fighting words. If you don't have anything good to say about Donald Trump, you better watch out and get out of the way. The only reason why I'm mentioning this is I keep hearing over and over about how this state is turning purple and uh but, you know, out on the street, I don't see it at all. Hmm. So you're seeing a lot of maggots and Trumpies and stuff. That's, well, you don't even uh, have to see them. All you have to do is mention it. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, we're talking about people that don't wear a MAGA hat or, or say anything. But if you say anything that slightly even sounds like you're uh, against the, the way the government's operating right now, it, it's almost like you're in the wrong state. Well, that's interesting. I would keep saying it, Jerry, unless, you know, unless you're concerned about any friendships or getting in fistfights. Uh, you know, I, I think part of the process of, of causing people to change their mind is having them realize that they don't represent the consensus opinion. No, I understand that. And I, you know, I've tried to reiterate that, but uh, it, it's just like they, they, it's almost as if, I mean, they must watch Fox News so much that they have a closed mind. I mean, they're not willing to even discuss anything that's halfway reasonable. And, uh, you know, I kind of go back to this thought where, uh, you know, when uh, Barack Obama was our president, um, they wouldn't let him do anything. I mean, he -hmm. got some things done, but almost everything that he tried to do, the Republicans put a stop to it. They wouldn't hardly pass anything. Including appointing a new member to the Supreme Court. Exactly. I mean, that was greatest as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah. so what, what in my mind seemed to happen was is the people got tired of the government not working. And that was one of the mm-hmm. things that they kept harping about how the Republicans were going to get our government working again and blah, blah, blah. Well, right. the only thing that this uh, administration has done that I can see is dismantle our government. And they're continuing to do that on a daily basis. So when you bring up something like that with one of your friends there in Arizona, what do they say? Oh, they just they get real offensive right off the bat. No, they just come up with this stuff like uh, he's the best thing that's ever happened to this country. And he's got he's you know, he's got the cojones to stand up and tell people the truth instead of all this milly mouth blowing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Jerry, thanks for the call. Wow. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Keep talking, though, and uh, call back in a, in a few weeks and let us know what, what is going on. Stick with
Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm feeling like the grift and the lies and the corruption and the corporate takeover of our government is so complete at this point that the Republican Party is actually really proud of it. They're openly mm -hmm. throwing it in our faces. And if they can own the libs, I think that's more important than, you know, the Constitution to the electorate. It's, it's all about owning the libs. It's, it's a game. They've made a blood sport out of it. Mitch McConnell obviously had a hand in that. Yeah. To your theory about the election, I feel like there's quite a bit of time between now and then for a lot of people to die, you know, despite the fact that the Republican voters are going to either die or lose loved ones. I wonder if they're going to start to realize that they've been had. Yeah, we're two and a half months since the first deaths here in the United States, and we're at 100,000 or will be shortly. I'm thinking by the end of the year, we're going to at least be at a quarter million and we might be at a half million, depending on how extensively this whole, you know, open the country back up thing goes. And yeah, the Republicans are bragging about their corruption. You had, you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate saying, oh, you know, if, if something happens to one of the Supreme Court justices, we'll replace them. You know, but whereas, you know, four years ago, five years ago, it was like, oh, we can't do that in the last year of a presidency. You know, you just can't do that. And and it's just there, you know, and, and then, you know, Kelly Loeffler dumping her stock and her husband dumping his stock. I mean, this looks like it actually echoed out beyond both her and Richard Burr. And there may be other members of Congress, same thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Hey, she gave us a million dollar contribution. There's another story over on Raw Story right now about how one of the... Uh, uh, this guy owns a small company. He gives Trump a big contribution and suddenly he gets a multi-million dollar no-bid contract. And, you know, no-bid contracts, you get to make as much as you want to make. So, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. George, thanks for the call. Raymond in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Raymond, what's up? Not much. I think history is going to be kind to Donald Trump if he wins the election because the victor gets to write the history. And history is just well, a that set was, of that was Bill of Barr's everybody point. agrees. Yeah. Yeah, that was Bill Barr's so, point. So if he wins, then, as you said before, it's game over for America and our democracy. Yeah. But if he loses, then we get to write the history and then we can we will put the facts and the truth out. Although, Raymond, I mean, think back to the 1980s. Ronald Reagan was not a particularly popular president through much of his presidency. He had two major recessions. He had the largest stock market crash since 1929. He had major corruption scandals. It, it came out toward the end of his presidency that he had been involved in the, the whole Iran-Contra scandal that was clearly a felony, uh, clearly illegal impeachable offenses. And what happened was after he went into, you know, Alzheimer retirement, uh, just vanished from the public view, a group of billionaires got together and created this thing called the Reagan Legacy Project. And they have now erected a statue to Reagan or named a, a major building after Reagan in every single county in the United States and every single country in the world. And they have been working aggressively, you know, I mean, rewriting Wikipedia, rewriting history so that, you know, Reagan's history, the, the bad sides of Reagan's history are largely ignored. So I, I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off again. It, it's troubling. Raymond, thank you for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? I've heard now from two doctors, one a person I know, and now oh, earlier this morning, that Trump is in all likelihood not being truthful about taking hydroxychloroquine. And what tipped him off is the dosage that he related. He said he takes it every day. What my friend told me and what this other doctor said on this morning was that nobody would take hydroxychloroquine every day unless you were severely infected with malaria, which is what it's made for, or you were in very late stage of lupus near, you know, very, very late and suffering. Really? Yeah, and that normally the dosage, the preventive dose for malaria, say you were traveling someplace where you might be infected by mosquitoes, 
with malaria, you would take once a week, you would take, take your pill once a week for two to three weeks before you left. Yeah, and then you take, you take, you know, once a week, and you keep I've once a week while you're there. I've done Africa. So here's my, here's my theory on this, Paul. I am guessing Trump went to the White House doctor and said, I want some hydroxychloroquine. The guy said, okay, cool, I'll get it for you because you're the president. He gets him the very lowest dose possible and then says, uh, you know, take a half a pill or a quarter of a pill. Or they've got a compounding pharmacy and he says to the pharmacist, make some capsules that are one milligram, you know, not the 100 milligrams or 200 milligrams, one milligram in each capsule, put a label on this is hydroxychloroquine and give it to Trump. He was taking the equivalent of Flintstone vitamins. What do you think? Well, there's that. I don't even think it's that likely. I think he isn't taking anything. And you can see that that was, was it yesterday or the day before. His out was, yeah, I'm going to try it for another week or two and see how it goes. Well, wait a minute, yeah. because he's, he's feeling the pushback that, hey, you shouldn't have said this. So now in a week or so, he's going, no, I'm not taking that anymore, even though it's supposed to be a preventive, which I think really, Tom, what's really upsetting is that, first of all, I bet you that 90 percent of the people in this country don't know what a virus is. They don't know how it works. They don't understand that chloroquine can do nothing to kill a virus, first of all, because it's not alive. It, it, it works on malaria because malaria, plasmodium, is, uh, is a bacterial infection within itself. And there are people who are immune to plasmodium with sickle cell. That's what sickle cell, heterozygous sickle cell, is meant to do, is people who are, uh, yeah, that's, that's just basic genetics they teach in high school. But, uh, no, he's not, as a preventative for anything it's other than malaria, is ridiculous. It's just stupid. And now he's going to yeah. weed a lot of us. Say, no, I'm not taking it anymore. But that's that's what I heard. The dosage. You see, liars have some things that always give them away, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, you know, whether he's being scammed by his doctor who's giving him placebo doses or whether he was simply lying to all of us. And I, I, I tend to agree with you, Paul, that it was the latter. That's a scary that thing, though. That out that's, of a scary his thing. that's a scary thing. But he does that all the time. I mean, the Washington Post well, I, has documented, Paul, that he lies on average a dozen times a day. No, I'm talking about his doctor. His, if his doctor's doing oh, that and yeah. lying to us, that's, that's scary. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, there you go. Paul, thank you for the call. Hey, and thanks to, uh, to all the folks who help out with our program. Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Joyce Nance, Nigel Peacock, Susan Heathercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, uh, Pat Sweeney, and Jabberwocky. Thank you all. And I hope that you have a wonderful, safe time on this Memorial Day holiday. And uh, please, you know, take a break. Be good to yourself. Be good to your friends. Do something pleasant and stay away from crowds. Tag, you're it. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 